well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. Glad that you've joined us on the program today. Coming up here in a uh, matter of moments, we're going to talk with Philip Smith, who is the uh, president and founder of the National African American Gun Association. We're going to be talking about the rise in the number of black gun owners around the country, uh, as well as uh, the objections that uh, Philip Smith has to some of the gun control proposals that we have seen uh, introduced in Congress over the uh, past few days, including uh, the uh, so-called universal background check bill that uh, could uh, be heard as early as next week. It sounds like on the floor of the House. Uh, again, a, a very beefy discussion. We uh, covered a lot of ground with Philip Smith. I really appreciate him joining us on the program. Uh, without any further ado, take a look and a listen. Hey, Phil, thank you so much for coming on the show, sir. It's good to talk with you today. I'm glad to be here. Honored to talk to you today, man. So uh, let's just start. For folks who don't know about the uh, National African American Gun Association, what is your group all about? Uh, and uh, how long has it been around? Obviously, I'm, and I'm guessing you've seen some pretty uh, major growth over the last year or so. Yeah, sure. And to answer your question, we started back in 2015, February 28th. In fact, uh, we just had our six-year anniversary, which is a big breath. Um we're focusing on, for the most part, training, education, and, and more training. Uh, we take anybody that is what we call a newbie and literally train them. We teach them how to hold a gun, muzzle management, isosceles versus lever, all that good stuff until they are, are very proficient and can work independently at the gun range. And right now we're seeing huge sweeps of folks coming in, a lot of women. And uh, right now it's kind of a, a renaissance period for African Americans and, and guns. So it's a, it's a good time for us. You know, I mean, it, it really, truly is. Uh, I've been thinking about this over the past couple of months. I wrote a story not too long ago about a uh, a group of women in Kansas City who started, I think it's called the Pretty Pistol Posse. I, I think I'm getting the name right. Uh, and it's a group of, you know, black women uh, who you know, they started out as friends who decided, you know, we want to go shoot together. Uh, and since then, I think they've grown to a couple of hundred uh, members in the Kansas City area. Uh, Monday, I'm going to be talking with a, a gentleman who is opening up the uh, the first black-owned gun shop uh, in uh, Indianapolis, Indiana. Uh, Ryan Vaden is his name. And uh, and then, of course, we had the big front-page story in the Chicago Tribune this week, talking about the rise of uh, black gun owners in Chicago. And, and I'm going to say, Phil, it was pretty shocking to me to see the Chicago Tribune give, I think, pretty fair and balanced coverage to the issue of people embracing their Second Amendment rights. I'm not used to seeing that in the Chicago Tribune. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's, it's, I think we have, uh, and I say this for, for everyone, um, you need to have a, a balanced perspective because sometimes when you don't balance that perspective when you're viewing uh, certain issues, particularly when it comes to gun control, it's not a fair discussion and it, and it really taints someone wanting to hear your version if you're not going to be balanced and fair. So, uh, that, that that was kind of new. I think, you know, I don't, and, and, and tell me, I'm, I'm curious to get your take on this, but it seems to me, and I, I've been covering the Second Amendment uh, on a daily basis since 2004. Uh, it seems to me that the media really wants to portray gun ownership as a right that is only important to people who, frankly, look like me, white guys in their, you know, 40s with a little bit of a belly and a ball cap who, who live out in a rural area. Uh, and 
And the media was, I think, you know, largely based in big cities like New York and Washington, D.C. and Los Angeles don't necessarily understand that the right to keep and bear arms is a right of the people, of all the people. Uh, and we've got more Americans uh, across, you know, every color, race, creed that are realizing that this right is important to them as well. Yeah, and I think you hit it. You hit it right on the on the top of the uh, the nail. Gun ownership is is something that you know obviously our our uh, ancestors and our uh, folks that came before us had died for us to have that right, and we cherish the Second Amendment. So anytime that's infringed upon, we all should collectively come together and battle like you know what to make sure that that right isn't taken from us, particularly for African Americans. Um, in our community, um, we are oftentimes overlooked, but we are. I tell you, we are maturing as a, as a group when it comes to firearms and we are exercising um, our Second Amendment rights and we should not let anyone diminish or lower our right uh, to bear arms on any level. Um, and I think we have to start fighting collectively to do that, to make sure that African Americans living in the city, as well as folks living in the rural areas, collectively both can have uh, firearms uh, move, moving forward. Because, you know, obviously there's a concerted effort right now um, by a lot of different people. I don't like demonizing any type of American. Because um, we're all Americans, but some of us have a different view uh, of, of the country moving forward when it comes to firearms, and mine's just a, a very different view. And I think we need to fight for that right uh, to make sure that we all can go out and buy a gun if we want to or, or, or not. Yeah. Um, but we definitely make sure that we can go out. Um, if we're living in the city, the suburbs are, are the rural parts of the country uh, to have those guns. Because if one person can't get a gun, that affects us all. Um, it might start in one city or one state, but you never know. You, you, you Next thing you know, my, my English, um, that law is all over the place and you're not able to buy ammo. You have to get a, a registration to buy your ammo. You have to get registration to buy your, to have a gun. And next thing you know, you're, you're with a super soaker in front of your house with your kids. And um, that's where we don't want to go down. And that's why I fight vehemently uh, with everyone uh, because having a gun is a right that Americans should, should always have um, by their, you know, by to them and, and, and for them at, at all costs. Absolutely. Uh, and, you know, it's interesting. I mean, to that end, uh, we saw um, earlier this week, uh, the mayor of Philadelphia, the, the district attorney there, uh, the police commissioner, Daniel Outlaw, all called on lawmakers in Harrisburg to pass new gun control laws, right, including a ban on modern sporting rifles. And I think they wanted a lost or stolen uh, bill advanced as well. Um, again, going after legal gun ownership in the hopes that, well, maybe we'll catch a couple of criminals here, too. Uh, and there was a Philadelphia area representative, uh, a freshman Democrat named uh, uh, Eamon Brown, who's introduced a bill that goes in a very different direction. Um, his bill would actually increase the penalties for felons who are caught in possession of a firearm. And each time they're caught, again, the penalties increase. They spend more time behind bars. The fines increase. Uh, and his attitude is, look, we, we know that not every gun owner out there is committing violent crimes. Uh, let's focus on the people who are actually causing the problem uh, and deal specifically with them rather than putting, you know, more of these nonviolent possessory offenses on the books that that we know can be abused. And I would even argue in the best of circumstances, uh, have a, a far bigger impact on legal gun owners uh, than those who use firearms in the commission of a crime. Yeah, I'm just, you know, and I, and I, I really struggle when I hear you know, politicians, whomever you are, um, 
put out legislation that's really not going to address the issue. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm all for go after the bad guys. If bad guys are doing it, go after them. Let's put them in jail. And if you're a violent criminal, you need to get put away forever. I'm, I'm firmly in, in that camp. But at the same time, you need to take a step back and look at not the symptom, but the disease. And to me, the disease, and, and whatever part of the country you're talking about, Southside Chicago, you know, South Central LA, you know, Southwest Atlanta, whatever it is, there are some definite characteristics that are consistent. Lack of skill set in terms of getting a job. The over um, felonization of young folks, by the time they're 22 and 23, they cannot get a job anywhere because they got two and three felonies for low-level uh, marijuana and drug offenses. Um, they have confrontational relationships with, with law enforcement at best. We need to go after those social structures which are causing those folks to be in a position where they don't have any opportunity to make money to live. And if you and I were in the same position and we could not do anything for our family, which we couldn't get a job, if we can't um, interact with uh, anybody or anything in, in a normalized social faction, you're going to be forced to do things that you would not normally want to do. And that's where we need to put our emphasis and, and, and focus, not on law-abiding gun owners. Um, if you and I were doing nothing but keeping our guns at home and, and going to the gun range as normal, and then all of a sudden we get a new law coming down that's going to prevent us from doing that, they're focusing on the wrong folks. Focus on the criminals that are out there doing bad things, yes, but also go after the social and institutional structures which are causing people to do that. Mm-hmm. Let's have some job skills. Let's have some, um, how can I say this correctly? Let's have some institutions put in place or a process put in place where young folks can have skills that they can go out in, in the larger society and get, gain employment. Because if you have a young person that is getting a job that's making money, typically that person is not going to be engaged in any kind of legal activity. Right. But if they can't do that, if you, can, if you have babies to feed, if you have a wife to take care of um, and, and yourself and you're starving, you're going to do things that aren't normally in your, in your character. You're going to sell drugs. You're going to be forced to do illegal activities. And let's look at the root, at the problem, as opposed to looking at some mysterious, all-knowing gun legislation that's going to solve the problem. That's not going to solve the problem. The problem is go after those um, institutions that are causing folks to be put in a position to do illegal activities. And I'm not trying to make excuses for anyone, because I don't. If you do something wrong, you need to go to jail, bottom line. And I'm firmly behind law enforcement um, in in that statement. But there's a way we can go out and approach those folks that are having difficulty to prevent them from doing things that are going to put them in a bad light with law enforcement. Let's help them. Let's just not keep acting like it's not happening. Mm-hmm. And I'm just a firm believer, um, within my organization anyway, that we have to kind of take our head out of the sand and say, okay, what's going on that's causing these folks to do what they're doing? Well, they're coming from schools that are basically pipelines to prison. As I said before, they're not getting the skills to get a job right now. And if you don't have a job, you're going to be forced to do things again and again that you really don't want to do. And in some cases, it's going to be illegal. So let's help those folks help themselves uh, long term. And that, that's just my perspective. I know some folks may not agree with that, but I, I believe that we have to start looking at the, the symptom, the disease, not the symptom. The well, symptom is... Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, I was gonna say, you know, I I I, I actually agree with you a hundred percent, and and I think there's actually a lot of fertile ground to be 
mind or whatever you want to call it, uh, between gun owners and Second Amendment advocates. And and I would say violence prevention activists, not gun control activists, but violence prevention activists. Um, mm-hmm. uh, for example, uh, you know, the, one of the books that really opened my eyes to, to what you're talking about uh, it was a book that came out, I think, probably close to 10 years ago now. David Kennedy, who's a professor at uh, John Jay College of Criminal Justice, wrote a book called Don't Shoot. And it was about um, the the Massachusetts miracle uh, back in the late 1990s that lowered the juvenile homicide rate in Boston by more than 50 percent. No new gun laws on the books. Uh, no huge I- expenditures of you know public funds. It was a, a shift in tactics. Uh, basically, to identify the most violent offenders, those most likely uh, to commit acts of violence. And there was this two track method where they, they they called these folks in. A lot of these folks were already on parole or probation. They were well known to law enforcement. So they, they had a call in. Uh, they, they identified those most violent offenders, brought them in. And on one side of the room, you had, you know, the, the chief of the Boston Police Department. You had the local prosecutor, the U.S. attorney, uh, an official from the DEA and the ATF. And then on the other side, there were parents and pastors and teachers and community activists. And the message was, you're going to stop shooting each other and we'll help you if you'll let us, but we'll make you if you don't. And so Project uh, uh, Ceasefire is what this ultimately became. And it offers that way out. It offers the job training. It offers the opportunity to get your GED to, to develop those skills that you need to be successful in life. And for those, you know, relatively few individuals who don't take advantage of those opportunities, the next time they're involved in a violent crime, their cases get referred to federal prison or to, to the federal prosecutor, uh, which typically results in, you know, greater prison time uh, and and more time off of the streets. Um, that, to me, seems to be a really effective program. It, it, there's room for law enforcement. But as you say, there's also room to address the individuals who don't in many cases, they don't want to be doing this. They don't choose to do this, uh, but they may feel stuck. But this offers them a way out. And I see no reason as a Second Amendment activist why I should not get behind a program like that. That's effective in reducing violent crime that doesn't impact anybody's constitutional rights. To me, that seems like like a win win. Uh, you know, whether you're concerned about the Second Amendment or not, if you're concerned about safer communities, that should be the way to do it. Yeah, and I think you're, the, I think the key that you're really hitting on and, and it makes sense. Those group of folks are creative. They're looking at an alternative way to address, address an old problem. And that's what's going to be needed across the country. People thinking out the box to help those individuals that need help uh, and help those communities that, that, that are asking for someone to come by that, that has the, the willpower, the finances to make a, cha- make a difference to their particular uh, community. That's what needs to be taking place nationally. Um, one box doesn't fit all, and it has to be kind of massaged to fit that particular community yep. like those folks right there. So Absolutely. That, that's another key factor. You're right, is that a one-size-fits-all policy, it, try to impose it nationwide, and you're not going to be as effective because, you know, the the drivers of violence in Boston may be different than the drivers of violence in Baltimore. Uh, and again, this is, you know, this is one program. You also talked about the bigger issues that need to be addressed. And I think it's easier for politicians to say, well, let's just let's just pass another gun law rather than, you know, fix the problems. I mean, I don't know if you've been following what's going on in Baltimore, but um, th- there's this high school. It's the Augusta Fell Savage Institute of Visual Arts in West Baltimore. 
Uh, and a mom recently came forward and said that her 17 year old um, has a grade point average of 0.13. And yet he had been promoted three years in a row. Uh, and then finally, they, the, this district uh, told mom, hey, I'm sorry, your kid's got to go back to and repeat his freshman year. He's got to start high school all over again. As it turns out, this 0.13 GPA, about half of the students in this high school have a lower GPA than that. I mean, that to me, Phil, that makes me angry that that anybody in Baltimore would think that this is acceptable, that these kids are being served, that they're being prepared for the future. Uh, and if you really want to fix Baltimore's homicide rate, which I think we're now at six years of 300 plus homicides, um, you, you can't just pass another gun control law and think that that's got to do it. You've got to fix the failed systems that are helping to create these problems. Yeah, and I, again, you're speaking exactly what I alluded to earlier. You have to look at the whole picture. It just can't be a snapshot of just one particular segment because they're all interacting with one another. They're all having uh, an effect on something that's next to them, uh, either socially, economically, um, in terms of uh, what's happening. So it has to be a bigger view. It has to be a larger plan that has to be implemented to, to make a change. But you, to your point, there will be continued problems, you know, just systematic problems, I think, across the country until we start doing something that has a collective, long-term effect that's going to be that's going to be a value add as opposed to just a, a short fix mandate on a major problem that's happening uh, throughout the country. So um, those folks that get, that get it, they're, they're doing what, like that group that you spoke of earlier, they're being creative, they're coming together collectively and say, hey, this is the problem. What can we do to fix it? How can we address it? And they're being open to discussion. Doesn't mean they, they like each other or necessarily get along, but they are open to a civil discussion that's going to come out with a solution. Hopefully, um, that'll that'll make their particular community better. Absolutely, uh, and I think we've got to be willing to have those conversations. I mean, I, I you know I am I am perfectly fine, and I would love actually to sit down uh, with some of the violence prevention activists uh, that are working in places like Chicago and Baltimore, and uh, to. Because I do think that there's a lot of common ground to be found, even between Second Amendment activists and those who are, uh, you know, maybe in favor of some gun control laws. Uh, we, we're not going to find 100 percent agreement, but I bet we could agree on at least some way uh, to start moving the ball forward here. Um, all right. So I, I'm guessing with, with, with the attitude that you just talked about, that you're you're not a, a big fan of the, uh, the the background check bills that have been introduced in Congress. We're hearing that. Perhaps as early as next week, Nancy Pelosi could start moving these bills uh, directly to the floor for a vote. I, I'm, I'm I'm guessing that that's probably not uh, something that you're in favor of. I'm not excited about it. And I'll, I'll say this, this so everyone knows who's listening to me. In our organization and myself, when I represent my organization, we don't typically comment on politicians, but we will adamantly and rigorously talk about policy like you and I are doing today. Mm-hmm. And I think anytime you have policies that are coming down the pipeline that this, to me, are just reckless um, and they go after the wrong group of folks time and time again, it's like the effort is at any turn or stop, just throw out something there that's going to make it difficult to get a firearm. And that's just the wrong mindset. Now, I, I, I get it. Some Americans, not like you and I, just don't like guns. And I get it. You know, that, that's your right. You don't have to like guns, but I like them. And my right should not be infringed on your dislike of firearms. So just stop throwing out stuff that doesn't make sense. And quite frankly, doesn't do anything to change the outcome. They could legislate themselves from here until they go all the way over to 
to China or Africa, whatever the case may be, and nothing's going to change unless you start looking at the true symptoms, as I, m- I mentioned earlier, when it came when it comes to violence in the, in the country and making the country a safer place. You make the place a safer country by allowing folks who can buy guns to let them buy the guns. And you make the place a safer place when you go after those individuals that are committing crime. It's that simple. Yep. It doesn't need to be, you can't mor- put a moral vein or a moral uh, sheet on folks and think they're going to act immorally when they're immoral at their heart. A criminal is going to be a criminal, and it needs to be uh, addressed as such. The folks who are good, law-abiding citizens, particularly those in the African-American community, and that's my focus, we need to have the right to protect ourselves, particularly in those communities in which they're, they're having some difficulty in terms of, in terms of crime and uh, police coverage. So I'm, I'm a big advocate for this. Hold the brakes and look at the legislation and really think it through. Is this going to make a change for Americans? And, and, and I'll say selfishly, is this going to make a change for African Americans? And in most cases, I do not believe that um, some of these uh, initiatives that they're, they're trying to do are going to make a big difference. I'm right there with you. Hey, listen, uh, Phil, we're almost out of time here, but I want to ask since I, I, I generally try to ask this question every time I talk to somebody for the first time. Um, yeah. How did you get into gun ownership? Did you grow up in a gun owning household? How, how did you come to this issue? No, it's funny. I was born and raised in a little town called Vallejo, California. I was not in a gun family. My father and mother were not anti-gun, but they weren't pro-gun either. We just didn't talk about guns. I talked about girls and I wanted to dance like uh um, Michael Jackson and, and have a pretty girlfriend. That was the, that was that was my goal as a kid. <laughs> um, so when I moved to uh, Atlanta, Georgia, in 2002 with my wife, um, I got dipped into a different culture. It's very very different uh, in Georgia and or, or the South when it comes to firearms. Everyone has guns. Either the guns are passed down from father to son, from mother to daughter. When you get together for big family outings, you have competition shooting. A lot of folks hunt. It's a very um, outdoorsy kind of culture, and it's it's beautiful, and I and I really kind of bought into it, and I and I, and I prefer the culture now. So being here twenty some odd years, um, I like the fact that I can go buy a gun to protect myself and my family, and I don't have to cut off my left arm to to do that. Um, so that's how it initiated. That's how it started, and it just kind of grew from there. Um, I went to a gun range with some coworkers um, on a, a Saturday, and I just it just I got the bug and uh, went there the next week by myself shop for three, four more hours by myself. And that's when the light bulb went on. And I said to myself, if I can have this much fun by myself, <laughs> I know folks in my community can have uh, just as much fun. Cause it was great. You know, I shot an AR, I shot an AK 47, I shot a 44 mag. I mean, I was renting everything and I was, just, <laughs> it, was it was great. And I met some really nice folks at the time, um, sat down and had uh, lunch with them afterward. And we just kind of shared stories. And, and at the end of the day, we all looked at each other and said, you know what? We're all, different, but we're the same. You know, we're Americans. We're trying to um, enjoy life. We're trying to exercise our Second Amendment rights uh, in a very positive way. And it was just a good experience. And I said, you know what? Let's go out and make a, an organization built for our community to introduce firearms in a very positive way where they get really good training, really good uh, environment to to succeed and get really proficient at firearms. And, and that's how, how it started. I didn't think I had more than 300 people max. And then the first month I had over 300 people and, and over 8,000 people the first year. And now I'm at 40,000 members and we're getting a thousand new members every month. So it's wow. just gone exponentially, um, in a very positive way. And I'm very proud of the fact that people even outside of our community, white, Latino, Asian are joining our organization in huge numbers now because they, they see the universal message, which is you can protect yourself 
You can come here. You don't have to walk alike, talk alike, or think alike. You can be yourself. We're going to let you join. We're going to give you a high five and a hug and say, welcome, brother, welcome, sister, regardless of who you are. And those are very powerful scenes that people, regardless of where you're at in the country, you say, you know what? I'm going to join Phil's group because I like what he's saying. I can be who I am. I can vote for whoever I want, and I'm still going to be really appreciated and respected um, in, in, in the organization. And we have some great times. We shoot together after we eat. Um, we have a we have hamburgers, hot dogs, pizza. We enjoy each other's companies. We argue sometimes. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and sometimes we have some. You know, my I shot better than you today. My groupings are better. You know, I don't like I don't like AK-47s or you know what I don't think. Revolvers should be allowed on the earth anymore. You know, we have some right. great conversations. And, um, and I think that's healthy. And I think that's very healthy. And that's one of the reasons why people really enjoy our, our, uh, our chapter meetings. And, and, and more important, when they go shoot, they have a great time because you can be yourself. And that's a, that's a hard thing to do in, in our society nowadays because uh, we have a true culture of acceptance in our, in our, in our, in our, in our gun club. So. I think that's awesome. I, listen, I have all, I have said for for years that I really truly believe that the Second Amendment community uh, is the last big tent movement uh, in this country, and, and I, I, I believe it um, because you know it seems in every other aspect of our life we've got forces that are trying to slice and dice us and divide us, uh, and and again we're talking about a right of the people, not a right of conservatives, uh, not a right of Caucasians but a right of the people to keep and bear arms. And that automatically makes the Second Amendment uh, a Big Ten movement. So I am, I'm, I'm so glad to hear that the, uh, the growth uh, in the organization is phenomenal. Uh, and by the way, you know, you, you ended up with a girl. You ended up with a gun. How's your dancing, Phil? <laughs> my, my da- <laughs> you me, I, I don't know what to say to you. You, you got me talking. <laughs> Well, it might not be as good as Michael Jackson, but it's probably better than my own dancing skills. So, exactly, listen, exactly. man. <laughs> hey, I really do appreciate you spending some time with us. I hope we can have you back on the program very soon. But uh, if folks want more information about the National African American Gun Association, where can they find you all online? Just go to www.naaga.co. You'll see our website. Please join to all your family and friends about us. We are open to any and everybody joining as, lo- as long as you back the Second Amendment, as long as you want to uh, um, be a law-abiding citizen that would like to uh, engage with our chapters and our, and our membership, you're welcome. We have a great time. We have a lot of women. We have a lot of law enforcement. We have a lot of military um, that are active members of the organization. So I think it's a, it's a really diverse, very robust group that I think everyone will really enjoy. That's awesome. Philip Smith, thank you again for your time, sir. Look forward to doing this again soon. Again, appreciate Philip Smith joining us on the program. Looking forward to having him back in the very near future. Uh, now let's turn our attention to today's Armed Citizen story, our good deed of the day, as well as our recidivist report. We will start there with a story out of St. Louis, uh, excuse me, St. Joseph, Missouri, where a court documents show that a murder suspect was actually on probation at the time for unlawful use of a firearm. Yep, yep. Uh, according to uh, KQ2, uh, the uh, suspect in this uh, murder of a St. Joseph woman, uh, Michael Haddon, was already on probation uh, for a uh, unlawful use of a firearm charge. Uh, according to court documents, uh, uh, Michael Haddon, 
and the uh, murder victim, 25-year-old Minda Miller, had been in a relationship. They were in an argument earlier in the day. A, a witness to the shooting told police that Haddon uh, shot Miller from a vehicle. Uh, probable cause statement shows that Haddon was on probation and parole for unlawful possession of a firearm. He had pleaded guilty to unlawful possession of a firearm in 2018. Sentenced to four years in prison. Four years, well, 2009, not even four years ago. Three years ago, he was sentenced to four years in prison. And yet Haddon, not in prison, already back out on the streets. 2015, Haddon had been sentenced to a year probation after pleading guilty to third-degree domestic assault. He was uh, later sentenced to 168 days in uh, the county jail after a judge revoked his probation. He also has uh, eight previous arrests uh, for uh, failure to appear as a criminal history in Missouri, Kansas, and New York, including DUI resisting arrest, stealing, uh, as well as uh, vehicle liability insurance. So, you know, some minor charges, some major charges uh, on probation for a firearms offense. And now Michael Haddon stands accused of second-degree murder. Our armed citizen story of the day from uh, Vancouver, Washington, where a suspected jewelry thief was uh, held at gunpoint by a witness. Uh, 41-year-old Andonis Thompson arrested on suspicion of first-degree theft after he allegedly ran off with a couple of rings that he had taken from a, a J.C. Penney at a Vancouver Mall. Uh, according to the Vancouver Police Department, a person witnessed the theft and pursued Thompson into the parking lot of a nearby hotel. Uh, the witness was cornered near a fence at the hotel. Uh, a Vancouver Police Department spokesman Kim Capp says the suspect then started coming towards the citizen, which put him in fear for his safety. The citizen, who has a concealed weapons permit, displayed his firearm and asked bystanders to call police. Uh, no shots were fired. Police said that the uh, firearm was drawn in self-defense. She did say that uh, police advise against pursuing suspects, especially for property crimes. She said, quote, call 911, provide as much detail as possible, let law enforcement respond. These types of encounters can be dangerous, so we don't want citizens getting hurt unnecessarily. I I, I understand what the uh, police are saying there. And, and, and maybe when it comes to theft of property, uh, I, I, I can... I can agree with that. I'm not sure had I been in the similar situation that I would have gone and chased a suspect who had stolen a couple of rings from J.C. Penney. Not my rings, not my issue. On the other hand, I disagree that if you see somebody who's being attacked, that you should just simply be a good witness. As the police chief in Oakland, California said um, last week, when there was a business owner in Oakland's Chinatown who saw a woman being assaulted and robbed And he ran outside of his store, fired several shots, stopping that attack. Suspect takes off. He gets arrested. He gets arrested, the armed citizen. And the Oakland police, you said, well, you know, look, it's it's dangerous for you to do that. Well, it would have been dangerous to let that woman continue to be assaulted, too. I believe that if you can act legally, that you have a moral responsibility to step in when you see somebody's life in danger. Again, not sure that this particular case uh, was uh, uh, worthy of pursuing the suspect, but I'm glad that the suspect's behind bars. Glad that the concealed carry holder is all right. Um, the rings, by the way, are valued at about $2,000, excuse me, $12,000. So, uh, you know, maybe JCPenney can give that uh, armed citizen an employee discount here over the uh, 
next few months. All right, finally today, our good deed of the day, New Haven, Connecticut, where a good Samaritan helped police officers rescue folks from a uh, apartment fire. According to Fox 61 in New Haven, the fire broke out Tuesday night. Patrol officers Eric Eisenhard, Andre Dragoy, and Paul Vakos arrived on the scene before firefighters did. Uh, Officer Eisenhard helped a mother and three kids at the apartment uh, in the apartment building. While uh, he was helping the family, a good Samaritan kicked open a front door into the apartment next door and forced his way in with Officer Vakos to help two people inside. Uh, before the fire was under control, firefighters cleared the nearby building, making sure that there was nobody else uh, inside. But again, if not for the uh, assistance of that good Samaritan, there may have been lives lost in that apartment fire. So in the right place at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing, which had a name to give you, but I don't. So whoever that anonymous uh, good Samaritan is, we thank you very, very much for your very good deed. Now, that is all the time we've got for you on this edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. Uh, we will be off tomorrow as scheduled. Uh, just giving me a little bit of extra time to, uh, to to write for the weekend. But we'll be back on Monday with more of the latest Second Amendment news and information. And I do want to remind you, if you have not yet contacted your House member, your representative, about these gun control bills that we are hearing could be introduced as early as next week, please do so. Send them an email. Give their office a call. Be polite. Be civil. But be firm that they need to reject these measures, which will not stop a single illicit gun sale from taking place, but very much uh, 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 will impact the rights of legal gun owners uh, to transfer firearms to family, to friends, to neighbors who might need a firearm in self-defense. Uh, we've talked about some of the problems of these background check bills. Politicians look at the polls and say, well, look, look, we got 90% approval for these things. So that's because most Americans don't know the devil in the details. And there are a lot of devils in the details. We're going to be getting into those specifics next week. Uh, but again, if your Congress member has not heard from you, please, please let them know your objections to these gun control bills uh, that we are hearing Again, could be introduced in the coming few days. All right. Don't forget as well, you can subscribe to uh, Town Hall Media on YouTube. That way you'll never miss a Barry and Arms Cam and Company. Or you can subscribe to Barry and Arms Cam and Company on Rumble.com. You can also get the audio version at Apple Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, the townhall.com podcast page. And uh, be sure to check out BarryandArms.com throughout the day for even more of the latest Second Amendment news and information. Have a great weekend. We'll see you back here Monday. Until then, be well, be safe, and be free.